Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Dr. Michelle Borba, an internationally renowned educational psychologist and an expert in parenting, bullying, and character development. Dr. Borba is also an author, and today we'll spend the time getting insights from her latest book, Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. Dr. Michelle Borba, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Oh, you are so welcome. Good morning to you. I am so excited, if if that's okay to be excited, uh, <laughs> about this book, Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. And I think this is a an important book for not just parents, but certainly parents, but for educators, for all of us that are connected with kids in some ways. I don't have kids, but I have nieces and nephews and grandnieces and nephews now, and I'm just so looking always for information that's going to help me to enhance their lives. And that's what I feel that we have with this new book, Thrivers. So thank you for writing this. Well, thank you. I, You know, I, when I wrote that, I was concerned. I've never been more concerned about kids. I'm a mom, and I'm also a former teacher. But one in five American kids was going to suffer from some kind of a mental health disorder prior to the pandemic. And then came a crisis, which only amplifies pre-existing issues. But that's okay. We don't need to wave the white flag. We can realize resilience is teachable, and we've got work to do kind of a new uncertain world, isn't it? So we've got to prepare our kids for more than just a GPA, but also how to handle the challenges and bumps and, uh, you know, of life. Exactly. And that is the thing. Prior to the pandemic, we were talking about a crisis in suicide rates with our kids. And, and it seemed like we were trying to figure out why was this going on? Well, it seems that you know, I don't want it to seem like it's simple, but you really lead us into some important territory in Thrivers to see where the challenges have been, where we, when we think we're doing the best for our kids, we maybe aren't doing quite the best for them. Well, you know, in all fairness to us, we love our kids dearly. Absolutely. And the most important thing I think is too often we've been fed misinformation that resilience is locked into DNA or all the kids need is a good test score and they're going to be able to handle life. But, you know, I interviewed over 100 kids while I was writing this book just to get a pulse on what they thought and said. And every one of them said they weren't being prepared for really to handle life. And thrivers or kids with resilience all have one commonality. They have agency. They're not helicoptered. They're not bubble wrapped. They're kids who figure out we've got this. And so maybe one thing we need to do is start taking a little bit of a step back and go, how do we help our kids know that you got it, not I'm going to do it for you? And that's the first path in order to stop going ahead. Exactly. And, you know, I'm going to do a little self-anecdote here because as I was reading this uh, and seeing how things were working with this generation of young people, I thought back to when uh, I was a teenager and in school and when my high school closed and I had to find a new one. My parents said, go figure it out. Uh, you know, it wasn't, and yeah. I didn't really expect them to do anything. I just kind of made the phone calls. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I think that there's that sort of thing that we need to allow our kids trust that they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Oh, I, well, first of all, yay for your parents, because I think that's a simple little beginning step that we overlook. 
What we've got to do is eventually help our kids. I mean, not when they're two, but keep on going up a ladder to, to realize you do have it and then help them learn some maybe some problem solving strategies because we do know that thrivers have a few things in common other than agency. They've learned some character strengths along the way. And one of them is curiosity. So when they are stuck with a problem, whatever it is, or a challenge, they don't raise their hands. Instead, they go, I got this, or I'll figure out another way through. I'll problem solve it. And they're open to ideas and possibilities. That doesn't come overnight, Kate. That's a situation where when a child comes home from school and they're crying because maybe they've been picked on or they're upset because they lost their homework, the first step is don't rob the child of resilience by saying, I'll help you. But instead, what can you do? And when you begin that as a reframe way back early in life and keep brainstorming with your child, they begin to get the pattern that they have the possibility. They can do it. And that's just one other first little step to be able to help your kid become a thriver. Exactly. And in this book, you say that you have these seven teachable skills that parents can can use and and you share the stories of the teens that you interviewed uh, and in that way we can really find those kinds of experiences that we can use with our own kids thank you and that's exactly what we're trying to do those seven strengths were pulled from longitudinal studies believe it or not from amazing work on kids who do overcome despite extreme adversity they've studied that children for 40 years from birth till up till you know adults and figure that most kids do make it if they have those skills now they don't have to have all so don't go bending into a panic but the first one is a sense of confidence so we raise our kids knowing who they are not what we want them to become the second one is empathy they need to be able to have social competence and we can start helping our kids despite social distancing just practicing social muscles of hi how are you so that they start resonating with people because that's the real world third self-control they've got to have coping strategies there's dozens we can teach but they have to learn how to handle the the real stress in life so it doesn't mount and get overwhelming and become anxious. Integrity, that's our values planted inside our kid's head. How great is that? But now when they push comes to shove, they don't wiver and waver. They go, I got this because I know what I stand for. Then comes the curiosity, the problem solving, perseverances. I'm going to keep on going. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up because I have a growth mindset. I know it's all in my ballpark, but I can do it. And then finally, uh, a sense of optimism that I've got this. Uh, There's a silver lining to it all. Not that they're Pollyannas, but they do know that there's hope and they're able to put things into a reality base so that they can keep on going. Those are all teachable. But they also not only impact resilience, but the bottom line is they also impact kids so they help them become peak performers in classrooms and life. So it's a win-win-win. And, and that is just what we're looking for is, as you said, you know, parents are doing what they feel is the best and no question about that. But maybe that best is way too much. And, you know, thinking in terms of like the helicoptering. Yeah. Well, maybe your first next rule is never do for your child what your child can do for himself. Because once you start doing it, what you actually do is rob them of confidence going Mom doesn't think I can. So they become dependent on you. And thrivers are always that kid who says, I I can do this. I've got it. And they keep on enduring. But that doesn't come overnight again. It's simple little pats on the shoulder going, you can keep going. You got it. Keep on moving. 
And if we use that as our just our mantra, that alone can make a major difference on our children's lives. And one of the things that I think starts from just such a young age is the attention that we give to our children. Too often I'll see young parents uh, with their child in a stroller and and they're just on uh, their phone, you know, texting or Mm -hmm. looking at stuff. So here's an opportunity to be engaging and talking about what's around them, but no, they're so insular. Well, for two huge reasons why we should. Number one, the highest correlation of good parenting is that you've got a great relationship with your child, and that doesn't come from looking at a cell phone. It comes from face-to-face with your own kid. But the second thing is, remember that trait of empathy or the ability to feel with another person or have social competence. That comes from face-to-face interactions, and it comes from a lot of practice. None of these skills are, are ones that you learn overnight. There are long-term goals that you keep on working and working and working. So I know that our kids are using a lifeline of a cell phone or a computer after a, a year of social distancing, but you can still make a rule in your house. Call grandma, but you're going to FaceTime with her or you're going to Skype with her and look at her when you're talking because you'll know when it's time to hang up because she's getting a little tired. The other thing we know is that thrivers have a good sense of being able to identify feelings and emotions. That's going to help them tremendously, not only with empathy, but also with their own self-control. So they can start saying to themselves, I'm starting to get stressed or I'm starting to get anxious and not wait for the meltdown or the exorcism of our kids, which gets too late. Then they become completely impossible to start talking to uh, in terms of wiping them down. But there's simple little things like those. Just talking to kids and using face-to-face connection makes an enormous difference in their world. And, and giving them that space to to be able to say something and, and not jump in to say the things for them. Yes, because we also want kids who can speak for themselves. We need their children, particularly in this day and age, to be little self-advocates. And one of the reasons that you want that is certainly it's going to be a difficult world where people are going to try to talk them into doing things that are against their, their mantras or their goals or what's good for them. How do they develop that voice? you allow it. So never speak for your child or just wait because some children on the Shire spectrum need a little bit of a warm-up time. But as soon as you say, here's what he means, once again, you're setting that dependent child so he no longer thinks, I got this. Thrivers are always made, not born. It takes a while along the way, but it's just a mindset of our parenting knowing that it's a new uncertain world. They're going to need some different skills. And these are the skills that will help them thrive long after we're gone. And that's exactly what they need in, in a very uncertain new world. And and you share with us that uh, by you can help your child in having a conversation, whether it be with uh their coach or with a teacher or with a grandparent. And if they're not sure what to say, just to jot down even on a note card, some Uh ideas that so starting early, just to have that kind of a guide and and know that that's great to do. Yeah, simple little things. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Because there was a fascinating piece of research on wait time. That's exactly what it's called. As a former teacher, I looked at that and I realized I was doing something wrong with my own students. Not as I'd ask a question, then I didn't wait long enough for them to process. If you wait at least 30 seconds, what you find is that every kid is going to have a more thoughtful conversation or at least a one word coming out. But if we wait too little, 
by just backing in and speeding up the process, we rob them again of the ability to think it through. So another little science back thing is just little bit more of a wait time and don't interrupt so fast. And I love you the idea that you mentioned, have them write it down. If they need to go and say something to their coach or their teacher, many kids are a little bit shy or intimidated by it. So let's think through what you could say. Let's role play it right now. You pretend that you're the coach and I'm the kid or you be the kid and I'll be the coach. What do you, what could you say? And if you practice it by role playing it, your child becomes far more confident and be able to do it in real life. And then just, you know, I can just feel it when the child does that and they are successful in having at least had that conversation. There's just this just burst of joy in their heart. Exactly. That's what you want. Because we all, you know, the the two things we're wanting, it's a successful, happy kid. Well, in these days, we realize that too often we've been robbing the kids of the success and happiness by too much doing. But here's another thing that's fascinating, Kate. I discovered that every parent always says, which of these seven are the most important? Because you can't have them all. Start with confidence, because that alone is going to be the foundation for your child doing anything else in that in the book drivers, which will have 300 ideas that are all science-backed. But the second thing is that once you teach confidence, then go for any other trait. But there's a multiplier effect. When you add confidence to, like, self-control or confidence to optimism or confidence to perseverance, any of the other, it multiplies or amplifies the power. So they become superpowers, and your child is far more likely to be successful. I just I had my own aha moment when I was trying to figure out how do these all combine together? And it isn't that you need seven, but you put the power together of one or two or three, and it all just multiplies the impact of them so your kid is far more likely to thrive and be successful without you. It, right. I, and I think, you know, w- with this perspective of looking back on my life, it's that these big, the, what, the world opens up, that you build on it and the others kind of fall in and you see yourself having done it. So you trust your kids can do this too. You give them the experiences, but don't insist that they have to, you know, have those high SAT scores and get into the best colleges. Not that those things aren't good, but that they aren't the be all and end all. Exactly. And here's a little where any doubter on that. We finally get him into college and we're so excited. But the number one time our kids are most likely to drop out is end of freshman year, first semester of college. Now, I looked at that and went, my gosh, how could that be? We're raising the smartest generation where their, their test scores and their GPAs are over the top. But it was college counselors who said, because they're lacking the life skills, when they come up with a problem, they're used to somebody helping them. They're dependent in their mode. So start helping them learn coping strategies. For instance, we do know that stress has really hit our kids and all of us over the last year. So maybe the most important thing that we need to do right now is make sure that every child has a coping strategy to be able to sit and identify what are your stress signs. They may be different than moms. They may be different from dads. Maybe you're the one that always puts your hands together when you start to get stressed or your feet go up and down or you grind your teeth. I don't care what the stress sign is, but watch your child a little closer. I've got three kids and each one of them is different as night and day. But if you can figure out what the sign looks before the meltdown or before the stress starts to build or before the irritability, then you can start helping the child learn, I learned something about you. Right before you get irritated or you start to do that math test 
or dad asks you to go take out the garbage. This is what you do, and your stress starts to build. Notice it in yourself. Oh, my gosh, what a gold mine that is, because now the child becomes internally operated. He goes, oh, I'm starting to get stressed, and now the next thing is, so what are you going to do in, to replace it or to keep it down? The fastest thing I learned was from Navy SEALs, Kate. It was just mind-boggling. I worked on a lot of Army bases, and Navy SEALs, the most elite forces in the world, said, teach your kids to identify this stress sign. Then the moment it comes in, you tell the kid to say inside their head, I got this, or chill out, or relax, not all of them, but one. Then take a one-two breath, real deep from your stomach, like you're riding up an elevator. Hold it. Keep telling yourself, chill chill and then slowly let it out the exhale is twice as long as the inhale it is the fastest way to relax on record according to just mri studies of us and what they have said navy seals is that's what we use and it helps us in adversity some tough times. well that's really teachable and it's science packed doesn't cost a dime it doesn't take a phd to teach our kids but if we keep practicing skills like that now we're going to help our kids have the, the real skills that they're going to need to be able to handle life. Yes. Yes, something so simple. And when we start that at a young age, that that is paying the attention and, and really being in tune with each other. It, that's a, a lifelong lesson. Exactly. And that's what we need to reset our parenting is. Parenting is a journey. It's a lifelong uh, just lesson in terms of every single moment in the here and now to be able to utilize or teach these skills or reinforce them or remind your child because they all need to be practiced in exercise just like they practice their ABCs and bike riding. They need to practice life skills. So choose one skill a month. Maybe that makes it more doable. And maybe a minute a day, just find a way to reinforce it or do it as a family because we all need stress reducers. If we all take one, two breaths, or we all identify our stress signs that this month, what we're doing is helping our kids realize that, hey, mom's doing it, dad's doing it, and you learn skills like this by seeing it, not by hearing about it. And so your child is more likely to catch it, get it, and learn it. So it transfers to real life. Exactly. So we are... Now, hopefully, nearing the end of the the real crisis of the pandemic, but then there's this new crisis of these after effects or what, what happened during this time. Yeah. So this is a key time to really be looking at this. It's never too late to begin this kind of learning and, and uh, putting into practice all of these different kinds of activities in our life. Oh, you're so right on that. I think the first thing is the myth of resilience is that there's only a certain window that we can teach it. No, it's never too late. We could be doing these same skills ourselves. But second of all, let's keep in mind that it has been a very tough year. Who's going to survive it? Who's going to thrive from it? Who's going to thrive from it? We know two things. We know that thrivers first always have caring, calm champions in their lives. So that means a little bit on us. We need to be calm ourselves because our stress filters down and our kids catch it. Just take the breath yourself. But the second thing that is fascinating is that anytime there is a crisis and they've studied kids who are homeless in war zones, in refugee camps, and in crisis like this or like after a school shooting, those kids who had pre-existing protective buffers or had learned these skills prior to a crisis 
we're far more likely to bounce back faster. Well, it's never too late. It just means these are the essential for our children, and we need to just add them to the plate, figure out how to weave them in. It's always weave them in, not at 10, 6 o'clock, kids. Now we're going to learn resilience. But weave them into our daily lives. Go through Thrivers. Find one strategy that works for you, your family. Every idea, by the way, is age specified. So here's what to do if your kid's in middle school. Here's what to do if they're a toddler. And then keep working and working and working on it until you see your child doing it without you. Then add the next and the next and the next, and you're going to have what you really do need to have as a child who can live well without you. Right. So we can use this time then as kind of this um, jumping off point, if you will, of saying, okay, we've had this going on. How are we going to manage going forward? What are the things we're going to do? So I, I think the this book, Thrivers, is perfectly timed in that way to really use as a good resource for now. Oh, thank you for that, because that's exactly what I was hoping. Let's let's just get one more thing that we haven't had as a resource to raise a resilient <laughs> kid. And, you know, the most important thing, K2, is the fascinating thing I loved about studying resilience is very often it was ordinary things that kids did that made extraordinary difference on their lives. Children who had hobbies, hobbies. What they discovered is that those hobbies helped a lot of kids decompress. So maybe a simple little thing is, does your kid have a hobby? What is he going to besides playing Fortnite? What's a simple thing he can do? Maybe it's getting grandma to teach baking lessons over you know, the internet or you know, great aunt have Sally to be able to teach woodworking or knitting, something that the child can do for hobbies. Reading was another one that kept coming up over and over again. A sense of humor, prayer, those everyday kinds of things that kids did over and over again, they begin to internalize and realize that's my go-to. So maybe the simple little thing that you can also do as a family is realize each kid needs a go-to. And if you keep doing it over and over again now, by the time they finally leave you or go off to college, they'll have that. And college counselors are saying that's what's going to help the kid decompress, handle life, and succeed. And one of the stories that you shared, and that, that's a great thing here with all the interviews that you did and share the stories of these incredible young people who are really basically suffering, is um, they were not getting enough rest. We can't underscore yes. enough what rest means to us. Yeah, I think that we forget the simple things again, the ordinary things like sleep. And one of the things that the research is coming out right now telling us is that kids who have been on Zoom uh, over and over, including us, what we discover is that their sleep habits are changing. They're losing the sleep, and so they need that reservoir of being able to be rested to handle the stress. So get your kid right now back on the right time zone so that by the time the school doors finally do open, He's finally there, he's got the rest, and he can move on, particularly teens. We discover that they're on a complete different time zone. Um, reading. We, many of our children have been just not reading enough that they could be doing, and that alone we know first helps academic achievement. But you know it also helps them through grief. You can find fabulous books right now. Go to the local librarian, they're a godsend, and say, my child grandmother passed away. Do you have a book for a nine-year-old or a 17-year-old on grief? They will give you an incredible book 
that alone helps your child step into the shoes of the character and go, he survived, he made it, here's the coping skills he used, and not only is it going to help him be more relaxed, because that's what it does for reading, but you can also help your child realize another coping skill by getting into the shoes of the character. And there goes empathy up a notch, which is the second character strength. They all weave in together. We just overlook the simple things. You know, Kate, one of the, the best things, when I was interviewing kids, I asked Natalie, what do you do to handle stress? She says, I finally figured out it's Mozart. I said, you're kidding. She was 14. <laughs> so what do you do with Mozart? She says, I put it on my MPP, my MP3 player. And every time I start to feel myself getting stressed, I listen to Mozart. And it starts taking me down a level. It helps me. I said, what do you do when you do something really well? She says, I got that covered too. It's Elton John. I'm still standing. I crank it up and just start pacing around the house. I'm going, there you go. Kate figured out it's music. So let's make sure every kid figures out what their go-to is. And that'll be one simple little ordinary way to help them thrive. Oh, see, these are some really great tangible tips we can take today and start working on them and using them within our our lives. Not like a have to, oh, this is another stressor. No way. Just finding ways to just naturally incorporate. Yeah, that's the whole plan. Otherwise, we're overwhelmed ourselves. In all fairness to us, we're exhausted. And it's like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to fit this thing called raising my kid to thrive into my already existing cram gem, you know, model of what I'm all I'm doing in my plans. Don't look at it that way. Instead, look at it as one simple little thing and weave it in. You know, another fun little thing you can do under self-control, that chapter, my favorite idea from another parent is she started a reading fort. So what's a reading fort? Well, she says, you know, rituals and routines do help kids handle the stress because uncertainty increases anxiety where certainty reduces it. So she says, I just put a sheet over my dining room table. Seven o'clock every night, we just put pillows under the table. We put flashlights. We got little kids. And at seven o'clock every night, we all go under the table, grab a book, grab the dog, and we all read together. She says, it's becoming this family memory that's incredible during COVID. My kids can't wait for seven o'clock. The interesting thing is they're also loving reading and they didn't before so it's just a win-win oh that is that just seems like so much fun i think i want to do that too you can do that you can do that i could just oh my gosh we just get a big bean bag and under and out put another or how about a calm down corner in your house simple ideas don't buy another thing but ask your kids what are some things we have in the house that helps you calm down and listen because if your child doesn't know, that's a clue. But watch to see if he does know. One kid said, we put a corner in our house where we put bean bags there or pillows. My little sister brought in her, you know, her, her pillows and her blankie and her teddy bears. I brought my goldfish because I watch him go round and round and round. My big brother put in music or books. But every time we start to feel stressed, we just go to the calm down corner. And the mom told me it's a godsend for her, too, because now she's watching her kids and she's realizing that her teen is now taking some of those same ideas to his own bedroom. She says, oh, my gosh, I hope he does that when he finally leaves us and goes away to college, that he uses those same strategies because he knows this is what helps me. And no doubt he will, because the habit has been created. So it typically naturally evolves to when you move on to the next uh, environment that you're living in. 
Well, the same like our hobbies. Remember, I remember learning to knit way, way, way when I was little. My aunt taught me. But now when the pandemic hit, what was the first thing I got out? My knitting needles because I remembered my Aunt Harriet and just knitting over and over again. It was soothing for me. Knitting doesn't work for everybody. But it's trying to figure out what works for you and for your kids. And maybe a simple little thing, too, is when you start to feel your own anxiety go up, maybe come down with just a calm down signal or a space signal, which means nothing more than put your hands straight out like an umpire. Don't say a thing. It just means I need space. And that means I need to just take a moment to breathe. What happens is glorious is kids will be able to copy that, use it for themselves, and the verbal kinds of sometimes bickering reduces because when we get on edge, that's when we start to say things that sometimes we regret later. But if we can find little ways to replace it by just a calm down, just signal, hey, I need some space, your children will be able to do that as well. And your whole family dynamics can change. Just little ideas like that are all through Thrivers. Find one that works for your family and keep doing it until it becomes your family ritual. So perfect. So get your copy of Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. And we can find you on your website too, Dr. Borba, which is? Ah, it's thanks for asking. It's michelleborba.com. I'm a 1L Michelle, and Borba rhymes with Zorba. So it's michelleborba.com. There you go. Perfect. Lots of good information there. And the book and this time together has been so incredibly important and wonderful. You've uh, really taught us so much in just this short while, Dr. Borba. So I'm grateful to you and to all the work that you do. Thank you for taking time with us this morning. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed every second. And that brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Dr. Michelle Borba and Sunday Morning Magazine with Ravi Hattasingh. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of knowing that we can be hopeful and we can create the future we desire. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.